Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to qalamcampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast benefiting from Qalam, I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide and let's all of us come together, invest into our sadaqah jariyah and take this work to the next level. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Now enjoy the podcast. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, alladhi anzala ala abdihi al-kitaba wa lam yaj'al lahu iwaja. Alhamdulillah, alladhi lam yalid wa lam yulad wa lam yakun lahu kufuan ahad. Alhamdulillah, nahmadu wa nasta'inuhu, nasta'ghfiru, nasta'hdi. ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلوات الله وسلام عليه عباد الله قال الله تعالى في الكتاب المبين بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وإنك لعلى خلق عظيم وبعد When you look at the hadith narrations of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم you will read them, and oftentimes your understanding of them will be good, but will be lacking something. And the thing that is lacking when we read some of the teachings of the Prophet ﷺ is the context or the story upon which that statement was made. Right? If you read a transcript of somebody's dialogue, but you don't know who they are, what they were doing, what they were going through, then the transcript can only tell you so much. So the Prophet ﷺ, in a very well-known narration, gives three beautiful pieces of advice. He says, That the Prophet ﷺ says to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wherever you are. And to follow up every single mistake that you make with a good deed, because it will erase it. And finally, he says, treat people well. Have good character and conduct when you interact with one another. These three pieces of advice are beautiful in and of themselves. But the story in which this conversation occurred, it gives us so much depth and so much more substance to understand the very lesson that the Prophet ﷺ was trying to teach. Because they have the text, which allows us to understand basic things, but the context provides us much more. So what was the story? The narrator, his name was Mu'ad bin Jabal, he's one of the closest companions to the Prophet and he was somebody who was beloved to the Prophet somebody that the Prophet when Islam had began to spread and there were different communities across the peninsula, the Arabian Peninsula that were accepting Islam, when there came a time for a leader or a teacher to be appointed out of all the companions that the Prophet ﷺ could have chosen from, Mu'adh was one of them. Mu'adh was somebody that the Prophet ﷺ said very explicitly, 
very directly, Ya Mu'adh, inni uhibbuk, that I love you. And he loved Mu'adh, radiallahu anhu, may Allah be pleased with him, because Mu'adh was an amazing student. Mu'adh was somebody that dedicated so much of his time and so much of his life when he was with the Prophet ﷺ to learning from him. That their relationship wasn't casual. It wasn't something that was just sort of incidental or something that was an accident. No. Mu'adh saw his relationship with the Prophet ﷺ to be one that was the most beneficial thing that he had. And so instead of allowing his relationship with the Prophet ﷺ to be that of just a companion to a messenger, no, he said, I need to become a student to this teacher. And he dedicated so much of his life and so much of his time. And as a result of that dedication, the Prophet ﷺ did not let it go unnoticed. So he proclaims to Mu'adh, Ya Mu'adh, I love you. And this was something that other companions, when they heard this, they got a little bit jealous. What was it that made Mu'adh so special to the Prophet ﷺ? We see the next level of that. That when Mu'adh studied with the Prophet ﷺ, this raised him in the levels, in the ranks amongst his peers to allow him to become that of a leader. And this is the first point that this story gives us. That the Prophet ﷺ did not simply just randomly select people to go and become leaders. He didn't just say, you know what, there's an entire contingency of Muslims now in Yemen that have accepted Islam and they know nothing. They don't know how to pray, they don't know about anything that we, you know, how to make wudu, nothing. They just believe in the message and they need someone who's going to teach them. The Prophet ﷺ didn't just close his eyes and randomly select from a room. He looked at and he chose from those people that had shown him that they were dedicated to the actions of learning and teaching. That that wasn't a, a way for them to prove themselves to him, salam. So number one is that Mu'adh, in this assignment of leadership, it was not for no good reason. Sometimes people want leadership, but they don't want to do the things that are required to become a leader. The Prophet ﷺ very famously said, Sayyidul Qawm Khadimuhum, that the master of a people are their servant. Now this strikes us as weird because we don't normally associate authority and leadership with servitude. We think that authority and leadership are a status or a rank, and that the people who are underneath that leader are the servants of that leader. But that's not the case. According to the Islamic paradigm, in order for a person to achieve the status of leader, they have to show that they are first willing to serve. Think about it. Parents are the most respected relationship that a person has in their life, typically. But what does a parent have to do for the infant child for the first few months, years of their life? I mean, parents are literally serving their children. Absolutely, hand and foot, middle of the night. Your kid wakes up with a fever, 2 a.m., you're at Walgreens, doesn't matter. Your kid has a stomach issue, you're there. Your kid has leg cramps from growing pains, you're massaging them. This is servitude. And as a result of that servitude, Allah Ta'ala has said that when parents do this, and most parents do, that the inevitable consequence of that is that they become the leader. And that leadership is to be respected. It's not that they become authorities in the home for no reason, but there's an element of service that gives them that trust. So Mu'adh, the first thing that he showed to the Prophet ﷺ before he was given leadership was, I'm willing to serve. I want to learn. And in learning, I'm willing to teach. And by teaching, I'm going to allow people to come closer to their deen, to their religion. So the first thing the Prophet ﷺ does is he tells Mu'adh that, Mu'adh, you're going to be the leader. You're going to be the one that goes to Yemen. There's an entire group of people there that converted. You're going to be their imam, their sheikh. Before he sends him 
he gives him this wasiyah, this little advice. Ittaqillaha haythuma kunt. Number one, remember Allah wherever you are. This, I mean, portion of the hadith could probably be expounded upon for half an hour on its own. We don't have time. But let's talk a little bit about what this means. Taqwa, we know, is to remember Allah. And to remember Allah, not just in the times where it's obvious or apparent, not just on a Friday at Jummah, but when you're by yourself. That's why the Prophet ﷺ said, kunt, wherever you may be, wherever you might find yourself, you need to remember Allah. Now, this is important for everybody. And I know that some people here are thinking, well, I'm not the leader of a community. I'm not a sheikh or an imam. So this might not be as applicable to me. But the Prophet ﷺ said, kullukum ra'in wa kullukum mas'ulun an ra'itihi. That all of you, in some way, shape, or form, are shepherds. All of you are in charge of something. Whether it's the children that you have, whether it's the siblings that look up to you, whether it's cousins or nephews or nieces, or whether it's people at work. Everybody has a position of that over others, in some capacity in life. And if you have that, which you do, then this ability to have God consciousness, to remember Allah in every situation, it equally applies to you. You don't have to be the leader of a city. You don't have to be the mayor, the governor, the khalifa, an imam, a sheikh. No, you can just be you. And in this, he's teaching the, the uh, Mu'ad, the Prophet is teaching him something very important, and that is who you are in private eventually will be who you become in public. Leadership is something that's very difficult. And part of the reason why leadership is difficult is because there's a public and then there's a private. How devastated are people when they find out that their famous or their favorite celebrity or sports athlete is like morally corrupt? How much does it hurt to find out that somebody that you look up to on the basketball court or on the football field is like a really, really bad person? It's, it's devastating, right? People even go to the lengths of defending, making excuses. No, 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 it's not true. No, 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 this and that. Why do we feel this way? Well, because when you look up to somebody, you expect them to be the same person publicly and private. This is a really difficult task. But the Prophet ﷺ here is teaching us that if you want to be sincere, the same person alone that you are in a crowd, the same person with Allah that you are with others, it starts by practicing being good by yourself. Because who you are when nobody's around you will become your subconscious behavior when people are around you. If you don't lie when nobody's looking, you won't lie when the stakes are high either. If you don't cheat and steal when you can, then you won't cheat and steal when others are watching as well. This statement is perhaps one of the strongest principles of leadership that the Prophet ﷺ has ever given. Because in order for people to respect and to love and to listen to those who are in charge of them, they have to see that they are what? That they are morally upright. They have to see that they are someone that can be trusted. So he tells him, That you need to remember Allah wherever you are. It's easy to be pious in front of people. It's very easy to be good when others are watching. But can you be that same person when no one's around? The Prophet ﷺ taught us of a scary moment on the Day of Judgment where a person arrives and they have mountains of good deeds. And at a moment's notice, all the deeds disappear. Like a wind blows and this entire mountain that they had, it essentially disappears like dust in the wind. And the person becomes fretful, scared. They say, Ya Allah, what happened to my deeds? And Allah Ta'ala will respond to the person and say, this is because you were one way in public and another way in private. This is because you lived your life publicly as a good person, upright, moral, pious. But when you were by yourself, you made decisions and you lived your life and you did things that were so reprehensible, knowingly, but you only did them because you knew no one was watching. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us congruent and sincere. 
This is a really, really powerful beginning. The next thing the Prophet says, because why? The ideal is so high, the stakes are so high, is he says, It translates very powerfully. When you make a mistake, follow up. Actually, sorry, I mistook the translation. Follow up your mistakes with good deeds. It will erase it. The Prophet didn't say, He didn't say, If you make a mistake, No. He said, follow up your mistake with a good deed. What is the understanding here? It's not an option whether or not you can make mistakes. You are one of the sons and daughters of Adam, you're a human being. Part of that job description is that you will mess up. It is something to be expected. And this expectation is something that we appreciate oftentimes for ourselves, but the great mistake that we make is that while we hold space for ourselves to fall, we don't allow that same for others around us. So we allow ourselves to make mistakes, but when we see people doing the exact same thing that we struggle with, there's judgment. You look in the community and somebody struggles. I remember I was talking with somebody before and they were talking about hijab. This is a a sister who put on hijab and she said, you know, they need to wear hijab and this and this. And I asked her, I said, when did you start wearing hijab? And she said, you know, in my 30s. I said, the person you're talking about is 15, right? How would you have felt if somebody, when you were 15, talked about you the same way? Or Salah, my son, the famous, my, my, this brother I knew, he said, my son's a munafiq. So why would you say that? It's a horrible thing to say. He says, well, the Prophet ﷺ said, the one who does not pray Fajr and Isha, especially in the masjid, is from Nifaq. So he's a munafiq. I said, when did you start praying? He said, a few years ago. I said, your son's 16. You're like 50. The thing is, we allow for ourselves to have moments of growth. But where is that with other people? See, the Prophet ﷺ taught us that actually it should be the opposite. You should be hard on yourself, but you should be really soft on people. Allow yourself to make mistakes, but don't let yourself to have you know, infinite uh, uh, time you know, to, to, to make up for them. No, you should be a little bit tougher on yourself. But when it comes to others, what? We have 70 excuses. We have made dua for them, seek forgiveness for them. So the Prophet ﷺ teaches us that as a leader and as a person who's responsible, that you are inevitably going to slip up. You're going to make mistakes. It's part of life. And it's important for young people as well to know this. Children, those of you who have parents, or those of you who have younger siblings or nieces and nephews, they need to grow up knowing that this is part of life. Not that it's okay to make mistakes willingly, with neglect, intentionally. That's different. That's not a mistake, right? But when a mistake happens, that they shouldn't feel like they are worthless. They should not feel like they have nothing good to do. There are many, many kids that grow up not wanting to even try to do something. Why? Because I don't want to mess up. This is something that in our homes as Muslims, we have to reframe. Mistakes are opportunities for people to learn. They are not the end of the world. If we did not sin, the hadith tells us, Allah would remove us as a race, as a community, and would replace us with people who sinned so that they could make tawbah. How would we experience the sweetness of repentance if we were perfect? Yet we still expect our children and our youngsters in the community to be perfect. It's a paradox. It doesn't make sense. So the Prophet says, number one, remember Allah wherever you are. But it's almost in between the lines. When you make, when you mess up, Right? That's in the parentheses. When you mess up, follow up that mistake, that slip with a good deed. Why? Temhuha. It will erase it. 
it will take care of it. The last bit, which is also very important, the Prophet says, And really, you know, frankly, it translates to treat people well. You know, it's have character with all of people in a way that's beautiful. It's like a more elaborate translation. But really what it means is just treat people well. And this is also a very powerful moment because the Prophet ﷺ understands, number one, when you're in a position of leadership, it's very easy to treat people poorly. When a person thinks of themselves as being more important or more critical or essential than others, then by the, the, the nafsi default of that state is to look down upon people that you feel don't have that same status as you. And the Prophet ﷺ taught us that this is from arrogance. When they asked him, Ya Rasulullah, what is arrogance? He said, Batarul haq wa nas. Number one is rejecting the truth, and number two, looking down on people. And we know that the person who has even the smallest amount, a mustard seed, he said, which means what? Even the tiniest residue of kibir in their heart, they will not enter paradise. People can commit tons of sins all day long, all day long, all day long, and they'll still enter paradise. But if a person has arrogance and looks down upon the one who commits sins, that might hold them back. People might be standing there at the gates of Jannah looking at those people that they judged walking into Jannah and them saying, Where's mine? And they'd be told to them, this is because those very same people that are walking in, the ones who were sinful, at night their eyes were flowing with tears. They were sorry. But you took every moment you could to talk about them and judge them while they walked into the, while they did what they did, and now look at them. They're walking into Jannah, and this person is not. May Allah Ta'ala protect us. So when you have this position of responsibility, of leadership, it's easy, number one, to look down upon people. Number two is that when a person is in a position of leadership or responsibility, your actions are more highlighted than others. You're not held to the same standard. You know this statement, it's not fair. My dad used to have the best comeback for this when I was growing up. I used to say, Dad, it's not fair. He said, oh, uh, whoever told you life was fair? <laughs> is there some sort of agreement that you signed? <laughs> some document? Right? I was always the tallest kid in my class growing up, you can't tell. And I would always get in trouble for the same things everyone else would because I was more noticeable, right? I stuck out. And so my dad would say, I was in Islamic school full of Daisy kids. So he's like, <laughs> I said, that's not fair. You know, all my friends did the same thing. I'm the only one who got in trouble. He said, who told you life was fair? Who told you life was fair? And then he would tell me, I remember he would say these things. And maybe it was his way of understanding and preparing me for community work or whatever. But he would say things like, you have to hold yourself to a higher standard. You can't hold yourself to the same standard as others. When people are responsible in the public eye or in their family, they don't have the same concessions as everybody else. It just is the way it is. To whom much is given, much is expected. So if you want to be somebody that has the weight and the burden and the responsibility of family or community or friendship or anything on your shoulders, you think that you have the requisite skills to take care of things that are important, just know that you have entered into a realm in which you will be held to a higher standard. And that's okay. The best players on teams aren't held to the same standards as the ones who are on the practice squad. The ones who are expected to be the stars, Luca, <laughs> is expected to perform better than others, is he not? The greatest athletes of our time if they have a mediocre game, it's horrible for them, right? We are told this about the pious people in our tradition. That for those people who want nearness to Allah, just barely making it in terms of their ibadah and their akhlaq, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. 
those who want to be closest to Allah, they have to have a standard for themselves that is higher than what they expect from others. And people will also expect that from them. So the Prophet ﷺ, by giving this teaching to his student, Mu'ad bin Jabal who is going now to Yemen, we understand this powerful context now, how it changes everything. It's not just the Prophet ﷺ saying this generally, which he was, and it's for all time for everybody. But in this moment, the Prophet ﷺ is also telling somebody who he knows is going to be in a position of leadership, responsibility, someone that's going to have to teach and live to serve, that these are the three most important characteristics that a person can master if they are to take on the responsibility of anybody else in their life. Now, whether that's children or students or community or musalli, whoever, if you have people that rely upon you in any way, shape or form, these are the three traits that you have to master. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the ability to master these and much more. We ask Allah Ta'ala to keep us protected from insincerity. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us tawfiq to act upon what he loves and what his messenger loves. كل كل هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم وليس المسلم من المسلمات فاستغفروا إنه الغفور الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين Brothers and sisters, these stories, these narrations are just snippets from the life of the Prophet in just 25 minutes or less, we've talked about one of the great companions in his relationship with the Prophet Muhammad One thing that we have to understand before we conclude this khutbah is that this tradition, the teachings of our Messenger the Qur'an, the explanation of the Qur'anic message, is such a deep tradition. It's so, so incredibly deep. It has such vast meaning and application to everybody's life. It is impossible for a person to, in a short amount of time, appreciate and to try to take on everything that is there. It's simply not possible. The way in which we have been told by our Messenger that we need to inculcate these ideas and messages into our life is a steady, even if slow, methodology. When the Prophet was asked about what Allah Ta'ala's favorite deeds are, he responded, Adwamuha wa inqal. He said, the ones that are consistent, even if they are little, even if they are small in quantity or in frequency. This is the methodology of the Prophet Muhammad We were never a religion of all you can eat. We were never a religion of take on as much as you can. We have always been a tradition of tadarruj, that people learn and grow with gradualism. That has always been from the time of the Prophet we have narrations where he said this very clearly, very blatantly. Aisha she said that if the first thing to be revealed was no alcohol, no drinking, because that was revealed many years later in Medina. She said if the first thing to be revealed was no drinking, right? Iqra, bismi khalaq, and then right after, no alcohol. She said no one would have converted. No one would have accepted this message. Because people need time to grow into something that's serious, that changes their life. The Prophet ﷺ even said, when he was looking at the Kaaba one day, he commented to Aisha radiallahu anha, he said to her, if it were not for the hearts of people being very soft, I would renovate the Kaaba to be upon the original foundations of Sayyidina Ibrahim 
I would change it because now it's a cube. I would extend it back to include the Hatim so that we could see the original foundations of Ibrahim alayhi He said that, but he said, if it weren't for the hearts of people. Our messenger alayhi always took into account people. He always thought about their ability to handle something before he taught them, before he put it upon them. He would wash his teeth or rinse his teeth or what, with miswak, and when it was, he was asked about that, he would say, it is a sunnah, and I'm only saying it's a sunnah, it's, it's, it's beloved, it's recommended, because I'm afraid that it will become obligatory upon you. I'm afraid that it will become obligatory on you, so I'm not going to say that it's obligatory. Why? Because it's something you can't handle. A companion said, Ya Rasulullah, should we make hajj? The Prophet said, yes, if you can. He said, every year, every year, and the Prophet stayed quiet. He said, Ya Rasulullah, every year? He asked this question again. You know, he's that kind of student. <laughs> he doesn't take, no, it doesn't take silence for an answer. He asked a third time, Ya Rasulullah, every year? The Prophet says, you're going to ask me until I say yes. You're going to ask me until when I say yes, now it's an obligation upon you? Why are you doing this to yourself? The Prophet always took into consideration people's capacity. We need to do the same. When he was teaching his star student, Mu'adh, to go lead people, he made sure that one of the principles he understood was that you have to be, you have to grow with people. You cannot expect them to meet you where you are, but you have to meet them where they are. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us this mercy and compassion. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us any shifat for those who are sick. We ask Allah Ta'ala to forgive any of those who have passed away. We ask Allah Ta'ala to uplift the oppression from those who are experiencing it. We ask Allah Ta'ala to protect us and our families from the different oppressions in society. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to experience safety and harmony in our homes and communities. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to be people that represent this message with beauty and that we are a reason for people to come closer to Islam and not to be turned away from it. Inna Allahu wa malakatahu yusalluna ala nabi Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim fil alameena innaka hamidun majid اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعدكم لعلكم تذكرون أقيم الصلاة